Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. I think in many ways our experts have failed us in that. In many ways we have been told what to do by the experts, when in fact the experts, their job is to give us the data to help us make decisions or to help our public officials make decisions for public policy, uh, rather than telling us what to do. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. This morning with me, there is Dr. Stuart Wolf. I must say, sorry if I have troubles at any point calling you Dr. Wolf because I have Dr. Stewart with me, so I, I can get mixed up, but I hope you will, you will forgive me if I do. So first of all, Dr. Wolf, thank you for accepting the invitation of joining our podcast. Dr. Wolf recently delivered a lecture at the Austin Institute on Prudence of Public Health, which is perhaps the theme of our time. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, so before we start, uh, Dr. Wolf, let me briefly introduce you to our audience. So Dr. Stuart Wolf Jr. is a doctor of medicine and fellow of the American College of Surgeons. He's associate chair of clinical integration and operations and a professor at Dell Medical School here in UT Austin in the Department of Surgery and Perioperative Care. Dr. Wolf has served on the executive committee of the Michigan Neurologic Society and the board of directors of the Neurological Society. At the University of Michigan, Dr. Wolf received a Silver Cystoscope Award for Urology Residency, teaching excellence three times, 1999, 02, and 05. He is the author of more than 300 peer-reviewed articles and videos and more than 150 invited publications, served on the editorial boards of 11 journal. Okay, so now that you're all shocked by his expertise, I'm going to start with my question, Dr. Wolf. So first of all, you recently gave a lecture and you, you told us about public health and prudence. Now, we live at a time of a pandemic and you lived this pandemic in Texas and you lived them in Austin. Now, in your assessment of what you've seen this last year, do you think that Texas did a good job? Austin did a good job. If you can, you know, summarize more or less what the measures have been for those that listen from another state and just, you know, from a public health perspective, how can we talk about those choices? Sure. Thank you very much. As you might recall, the quote first wave of the pandemic was back in March and April, and there were primarily cities and regions on the coasts that got hit. And then uh, when, as the pandemic was dying down in those areas, we started to see the second wave in other parts of the country. And that's when it happened in Texas in, you know, June and July. That's when we started to see our big numbers increase in Texas. I think that our state actually responded very quickly. We started to slow things down in terms of uh, businesses, in terms of social distancing, in terms of recommending masks. Uh, we've responded very quickly. And the total upshoot of our problem here in Austin lasted about four to six weeks. And after that, it slowed down very nicely. And for the past, you know, six weeks now, almost two months, we've been doing quite well. I think actually Texas overall has done well in this pandemic. I think we've had fairly solid leadership. I think there's been relatively good consideration of both the science and the economics and tried to balancing the two. 
So before we speak more generally about some of the topics that you address also in the lecture, what is happening right now in Texas hospitals or here in Austin in terms of the pandemic? So I, I can really only speak to the Austin metropolitan area. I, I'm, I don't have the brain power to be sucking in the numbers for all these other places, but I can tell you that in Austin, we have been pretty flat for, uh, gosh, I think it's been six or seven weeks now. Uh, there was a big fear that there would be a big uh, rise in cases after Labor Day, similar to what we saw after Memorial Day, thinking that these big gatherings of people were one of the super spreader events that would cause COVID to occur. And that didn't occur. I can tell you that there was a lot of not social distancing without masks going on on Labor Day weekend. I, I live in a high-rise building that overlooks Lady Bird Lake. And I can tell you there was a lot of not social distancing going on on Lady Bird Lake. But yet we didn't see a big rise in cases, which is fantastic. Right. But as, so as we you told us, though, in our lecture that I really invite everybody to watch because it was very balanced and very, um, you know, it taught me a lot of things about how you reason about medical decisions and public health decisions. Of course, what you're saying doesn't mean we should stop wearing masks and doesn't mean we should stop social distancing. Could, so could you tell us what you told us about the observational studies and what you think we should do with the data and as lay citizens to just read them and don't really understand? Sure. I, I think the, the, the crux of my talk was that the decision-making about public health issues needs to be prudent, needs to be carefully weighed. And that means looking at the potential uh, benefits of a, of a public health intervention, such as wearing masks or social distancing, the costs of the intervention, which might include the inconvenience of wearing a mask or the horrible economic cost of social distancing when you have to shut down businesses. So those are all costs. So there's, there's, there's health benefits. There's other costs, economic and inconvenience. And then how you weigh those depends on what your values are. How do you weigh a young person getting ill versus old person getting ill? What does it mean to you if there's lots of cases of COVID in a hospital and therefore you can't have elective surgery? How does that impact your life? And you have to think not only about yourself, but also the people around you. It can get very complex. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is that it's not simply the science of what do social distancing, masks, and hand washing do? We also have to think about the impact of those interventions on the rest of our life. True, true. Um, and we know about the cases of depression also and probably other health-related things that develop after that. But even if, you know, we, we do want, as lay citizens, look at the science. We want to know, you know, what is the impact of masks? What is the impact of my social... What, where should we look for it? Who should we listen to? Sure. That's a great question because none of us or very few of us are experts in infectious diseases. So we have to look to experts to give us good information. And to be fair, I think in many ways our experts have failed us in that. In many ways, we have been told what to do by the experts when in fact the experts, their job is to give us the data to help us make decisions or to help our public officials make decisions for public policy. Uh, rather than telling us what to do. So, for example, the data behind masks, let's just take that as, as an example. There's been, there have been some very nice, uh, what are called meta-analyses. That means bringing together large studies to compile data and come up with the best known answer given current data. And the best answer right now is that the use of masks 
reduces the transmission of COVID-19 by about 15%, 1-5%. And that's, I think, pretty significant. You know, 15% is a lot, especially when you combine it with other things like social distancing and hand washing. But that 15% doesn't make a decision. That means that doesn't mean that everybody has to wear a mask 100% of the time everywhere. We just use that information to now help us factor in, okay, now what are the cost and inconvenience of wearing a mask? And when you when say inconvenience, just for the public to understand how inconvenience should not be interpreted as just a, a small, something that is slightly disturbing no, in your life. It no, can absolutely. be something. The inconvenience of wearing a mask, you know, for some of us, for myself, to be honest with you, the, the inconvenience of wearing a mask is trivial. Well, but I've also worn a mask two to four days every week of my life for the past 30 years. So if a mask really bothered me, I'd have to pick a new job. I'm a surgeon. But for someone else, wearing a mask, you know, it itches. They can't recognize people. They can't talk as well. They can't communicate with their loved ones. I, I get it. Masks or are no fun. recognize people in a public square or in a bar, you know, from far and meeting friends that you didn't see for a yeah. while. I don't know. I know that this thing, many of these things may sound stupid as we say them, yeah. but for some of us, maybe those that are more lonely, they maybe can mean a lot. I think yeah, we have to we have to look at that. But then you also have to look at, you know, what are the masks doing? And what's interesting about mask wearing is that it's a very different public health measure than most public health measures. Most public health measures, the person who bears the cost of the measure also accrues the benefit of the measure. Wearing a motorcycle helmet, okay? It's still a law in some states to wear a motorcycle helmet. The same person that has the inconvenience of wearing the helmet is also the person who benefits by wearing the helmet. They don't get their head cracked open. You know, using a, a sewer properly, that's a public health measure. Drinking fluoridated water, that's a public health measure. And all these things, the cost drinking the water, wearing the helmet, wearing the seatbelt, accrues to the same person who also gets the benefit, not dying in a car accident, not getting dental, dental cavities. What's interesting about a face mask is that it's different. The person wearing the mask is not the person getting the benefit. The person getting the benefit is everybody else around you. And that's one of the things that makes it so contentious right now. Yeah, you, you talked also about the role of charity um, in your talk. You think that that's where it comes into play? Absolutely. I think we have to remember that, you know, I'm not wearing a mask for me. I'm wearing a mask for you. Now, But charity, somebody, somebody says charity is one of those very few things that cannot be ordered. You can't legislate charity. Absolutely not. And that's why I think we all have to make a decision. But I think, you know, those of us who sometimes get caught up in the politicization of the mask, if we realize, you know, whatever anybody's telling me about the politics of mask wearing, if I wear a mask, I'm being benevolent to the people around me, it might make us behave a little differently. Yeah, that's very true, Dr. Wolf. I only wanted one last point that you brought up. You're going to talk that might allow us to talk about that is not the pandemic, but more generally, you talked about shared decision making. So you pointed out as doctors, one of your roles with a patient is to take a decision with the patient. So sharing the information you have and taking this decision with them. I think this is particularly interesting when we talk about informed consent and how some decisions that are very hard today, like I think because it's something dear to me, but the assisted suicide, right? So telling, giving the patients all the information and then based on those information, they can make a choice. 
Do you think that in also in the process of sharing information, there is a knowledge that only the doctor has also in timing, the way, how, you know, you discover you have a cancer and it's really bad. And the moment I tell you and the way I tell you, is that going to influence also what you choose to do next? I think what you're, what you're getting to is, is really in many ways at the crux of why those of us who practice medicine continue to do it because the opportunity to share with people these very difficult times in their life to try to help them through and you teach them and they teach you. I can guarantee you I've learned more from my patients than, than they've learned from me because I've gotten to see how they deal with adversity and things like that. I think that's what you're alluding to is the therapeutic effect of just simply two humans talking. Uh, we're obviously getting a little bit away from a public health discussion here. It's a, although it's a similar idea in public health, you still need to do the shared decision-making, providing the information and all that. But what you're alluding to is actually one of the very personal and most important parts of medical care. That's the connection between the, the doctor and the patient. So, Dr. Wolf, with this, I very much thank you. And I probably thank you all the doctors that still practice medicine, learning from their patients and sharing their, you know, decision-making processes and what they go through. And thank you for, for your participation to, to our podcast. You're thank always you. welcome. Thank you. God bless. Thank you all for listening to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. Please share it with your friends. Please give us a five-star rating. And please donate so we can do even more.